All right, everyone, thank you for gathering here in the council chambers. We are here to hear the first debate for our new leadership. On the left, we have wise Nicodemus. Thank you. I would just like to begin by saying that I have been your wise and trustworthy counsel for the entire time we've lived here in the Rosebush, all five years. And I plan to continue on my tradition of trustworthy leadership of this community. And on the right, we have Mr. Jenner, the opposing candidate. The great and strong Nicodemus, huh? <laughs> of course he would say that his words are wise and reliable. He's been controlling the only source of prophecy in the Rosebush for the last five years. I'm looking to give a voice to the rats who do not have one because they don't have the intelligence to speak. All right, now we're going to have a fair debate here. No disparaging each other's character, and let's stick to the points at hand. I will pose this question to you, Mr. Jenner. How oh, about time? How would you handle possible human threats to our people wherever our community resides? Well, we're going to be right here in the rose bush. Uh, first things first, there are thorns on rose bushes. So that's already, we have a defense right there. Aside from that, we're smart. We're not just rats. We're smart rats. And we are citizens of the rose bush. God bless the rose bush. I see. The whole point of relocation is so that we end our reliance on human technology. No, 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 no more about relocation. We're talking about staying here. Don't um, you, did you hear Nicodemus just try to change the subject? I believe that we can separate ourselves from the humans for a time and then perhaps form an alliance with them in the future once we have built our own society without their guiding hands. I want to build bridges, not walls. All right, now we'll move on to closing statements. I implore the council to use their good judgment and reason. We were gifted with this intelligence, and I believe it would be prudent for us to use it for the betterment of all animal kind. Well, that sounds very reasonable and wise. Well, I think it's important to be said, Nicodemus is very old. We might get another week or two of his lifespan if he's elected to stay in charge. Plus, he's got long, dangly, creepy fingers. I don't trust those being in charge. And also, I am a lot taller and stronger. So, what were we talking about? Your closing statements. Ah, uh, yes, yes. We're staying in the rose bush. Don't cross me by voting for Nicodemus. Oh, well, that was ominous. Forgive me, I need to go. I'm helping oversee the relocation of the Brisby residents, and I need to go stand underneath the cinder block that is their home. I'll see you there.
pay the Don Bluth. Who you might know from Dragon's Lair, that game that nobody has ever completed once. The one that's like, and the the one. The yeah, one. I've seen that. Dude, I used to love that game. I thought it was the coolest when I saw it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In the arcades back when those. Did you were play Jonah's Little Mini one? No. Uh, I've saw. I saw it. I couldn't get past the first few scenes. Nobody usually. It's tough. I it's, didn't really just, understand what I was supposed to do. It's just pattern, right? You just have to know the pattern. Maybe. But back then, I didn't really get that. Yeah. You were just like, I'm playing a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. Which is very cool. I hadn't yet uh, really leaned into my whole love of Sherlock Holmes and solving mysteries and everything. Did yet. you say Sherlock Gnomes? So, like... Uh, Sherlock Gnomes. <laughs> The stars of that movie are still Nomeo and Juliet, but they're just working with Sherlock Gnomes. So <laughs> Nomeo and Juliet are still in Sherlock Gnomes. No, I didn't know that. I hate everything you're saying. They hire Sherlock Gnomes because I think someone goes missing. <laughs> oh, oh. They can just milk that as long as they want to, I feel like. Yes. That's what she said. He said. That's what he said. That's what he said. She said bullshit. Limp Biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to uh, Limp Biscuit Cast, where we review every single song in the oeuvre of the seminal new metal band Limp Biscuit. Oh shit! I think I'm in the wrong class. <laughs> we were born into the wrong class, guys. <laughs> But actually, we're here to talk about fantasy movies. Right. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I am your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel. My pronouns are he and him. And I am here with my animalistic co-hosts, my wild co-hosts, my highly intelligent co-hosts. Wow, are we all of those things? We'll see. <laughs> oh yeah i'm cassidy my pronouns are they them and i'm a wolf in them their woods oh my god not appearing in this film uh but i do hang out with the great owl sometimes you know he likes to steal some of my smaller kills we we play a little game he and i well that's nice yeah he steals from me I bark at him. You know. Bork. Seems like you have a good arrangement going there. Bork, hoot? bork. Hoot, hoot. Bork. Hoot. Sometimes I chase him a little bit just to give him a run for his money, but I know I'm never going to actually catch him. That makes sense. Unless you catch him slipping. <laughs> if I ever do catch that old bird someday, it was his time. That's I mean, how nature works. Yep. yep. You can tell it was his time because he dies. Right. Fuck. That's how it was meant to be. Can't have gone any other way. No. But what about you? Who are you? I'm Jack Olander. My pronouns are any and all. I'll take what you can get. <laughs> what you can give. And uh, <laughs> pronouns, please. Pronouns for the poor. <laughs> yes. Please, sir. May I have some more? <laughs> and uh. I am uh, an anamorph that mm. got stuck halfway through transforming. That explains the film. Yes. Uh, 
I, I don't, uh, <laughs> any human would kill me on sight and any animal knows to be afraid. And give you a wide berth. Yes. That tracks. What, what, what did you, what were you changing into and what were you changing from? You know, it, it it's really hard to tell. It was my first time transforming. Oh, God. <laughs> what did you begin at? Just completely botched it. I was a human at first, but... Okay. <laughs> what were you trying to change into? Uh, you know, uh, I was finding out. I was finding out. It was something smaller than a human. There's a special time in every human's life... When their body starts going through some animalistic changes. Yeah. Whatever dark warlock patron was giving me the Animorph power decided to revoke it at the worst <laughs> time. You shouldn't have insulted their robes. <laughs> yeah. Seems like you need to go visit old Nicodemus there. He's kind of magical. That makes sense. That's a good idea. I'll let me just set out on my quest. Well, before you do that, we should probably start talking about a movie, because that's oh, what we yeah. do here. That makes sense. And this week, we're going to be talking about the 1982 Don Bluth animated classic, The Secret of the National Institute for Mental Health. Or NIM, for or, short. Or NIM, for short. Wow. So, of course, as we all know, this is a film starring Elizabeth Hartman, Derek Jacobi, Dom DeLuise, Arthur Mallet, and additional voice cast actors. Incredible. I love them. They're in everything. <laughs> voice actors? Additional voice actors. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, so this is a film based on a children's book. It is a part of many of our uh, childhoods, I'm sure. And before we get too deep into it, I think Cassidy has a little summary ready to go. If not, we're going to wing it. Like an owl? Yes. Or like an anamorph. <laughs> so we start this whimsical tale. Is it whimsical? For the whole family. With a traumatic loss, illness, and fear of death. That's how every whimsical story I know starts. Fun for the whole family. Oh, don't forget a harrowing attack. By who? What? By dragon. Oh, yes. A traumatic, stress-inducing uh, attack of a cat on a bird and a mouse. I was including that in fear of death. That eh, works. <laughs> <laughs> Tomato, tomato. Better make it fun and have it be like a mouse or something. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we have Mrs. Briggs Brisby. Not Frisbee. Yeah. Which is what her name was in the book. And it turns out that those fun-loving folks at the Frisbee Corporation were like, hey, by the way, we'll sue your asses if you put them in the movie. And we're fun. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it have just been free advertising? Yeah, I think it would have been. So, she was recently widowed. Her hu mouse husband, Jonathan, died, and she doesn't know how. Oh, boy. We're starting off this kid's movie with a bang. He left behind his widow and their three, ch four children. <laughs> and I do not understand how time works, because, like, 
Her children are like she has one child who's like what the equivalent of like a three year old, but in mouse years. And then we don't know how long her husband's been gone for, but like, yeah, the timeline of this film does not make sense to me. They age strangely as well. Yes. Yeah. So their children are as follows: eldest to youngest. Here we go. Will Wheaton. <laughs> There's going to be a test later. So yeah. Shannon these. Doherty. We have Teresa. That's Shannon Doherty. Martin. Will Wheaton. Timothy. No fucking clue. And Cynthia. Probably a voice actor. A baby. Or probably an actor of some kind. Um. Um. Cynthia is baby. <laughs> Very good. Uh. So yeah, Jonathan like just died, and then Timothy gets sick. He's dying. Oh boy. <laughs> this of is illness. How, this is how we start. <laughs> He's dying of the sad cartoon character disease. <laughs> being, Actually, I think it's pneumonia. Being a young child in a Dickensian like story. That's like the worst choice you can be. Yeah. Yeah, like Tiny Tim, and his name's Timothy. Hmm. Suspicious. So Mrs. Brisbane. Maybe it's just a thing for Timothy's. Yeah. You think they're dicking? <laughs> Maybe it's not enough dicking. <laughs> so we have, although... We're talking about children, right? Wait, what's going on here? <laughs> We're talking about Charles Dickens as inspiration oh. for the film. Jonathan definitely fucks, though. Well, Charles Dickens yes. was a cocksmith. We know that. Yes. Okay. So back to the movie. Um, <laughs> There's a movie? <laughs> Mrs. Brisby goes to see Mr. Ages, who is... A smart mouse. That's right. And an inventor. He lives in an old tractor, which I think is a very cool, like, little bit of world building. Yeah, he's reconstructed it to be, like, a lab. It's super cool. And he's got all kinds of, like, gadgets, and he's got electricity in there. He's got knickknacks. The lab was pretty basic, really easily ignorable. They barely probably put any work into that. <laughs> yeah, you know how easy these animated movies are. It's to not make. like there's 96 layers for each frame of uh, his laboratory. Yeah, not at all. Not like it. They put a ridiculous amount of work into flickering candles, moving shadows, sparkles, like yeah. bubbles, <laughs> all on different layers. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was super easy. Animated movies are super easy to make. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah it's not like it takes 1.5 million individual drawings to make up a whole film. Not at all. So, <laughs> Mr. Ages is kind of a crotchety old man, just wants to be left to his experimenting. Oh, uh, I can't wait to grow up. <laughs> I'm going to be just like Mr. Ages. Uh, but when he hears it's Jonathan's family that's in trouble, then he wants to help. <laughs> Oh, yes, I have this medicine that I could give to anyone, but I'll only give it to the elite. Yes. Fuck this society. Yeah, there's some class struggle going on here, some intellectual elitism between the awakened rodents and the kind of common rodents, the everyday rodents. And the markers for their different intelligence are? How naked they are. Vague. How <laughs> naked, yeah. If they can read or how well they can read, because... Mrs. Brisby can read. Mrs. Brisby can read, just not as well as Jonathan or their children. Jonathan and, well, we'll get to that, but it kind of says something that she can be taught to read. But so anyway, yeah, it's kind of, uh, 
more of like a class distinction than any real distinction mm -hmm. between their actual intelligences. Signature look of superiority. That's what <laughs> Mr. Ages has. It's all about the attitude, I guess. Yes. So he gives her some medicine. She goes on the horribly dangerous trek back to her house because remember, she's a mouse <laughs> trying to run through a field to get back home. Should be very easy for her. Except if you run into an agent of chaos personified as a crow uh, that almost gets Personified her by Dom de Louise. That almost gets her killed because he attracts the attention of Dragon, the cat that belongs to the farm family that lives nearby. Right when you said the cat that belongs, Puck popped her head out from around the corner. And Dragon looked a lot like a version of our kitty, Odin. That's right. Puck's sister. One of Even one-eyed. Yeah, exactly. And gray. Odin's a little bit friendlier than Dragon. Yes. Dragon is a monster. Pretty much. With his own sinister music, too. Sometimes we live up to the expectations of society. So he or live down to them. <laughs> like that guy named Dragon. Dracula. He chases them. The crow... Named Jeremy. Ah, uh, a good strong J name. Helps Mrs. Brisby escape, which is pretty nice of him considering he's the one who got her into that situation in the first place. And uh, she thought she lost the medicine, but turns out in a random fit of inspiration, Jeremy picked it up uh, during their escape. <laughs> she's able to give the... Uh, she gets home safely, does Mrs. Brisby, and she's able to give the medicine to Timothy... Now, there's a problem. Because In a movie? <laughs> because he can't move for three weeks. He's got to rest up. Because uh, he actually has pneumonia, does Timothy. And uh, That's a respiratory illness. There's a moving day coming up. And we find out that that's because the farmer is going to move through the field with his plow and destroy all the homes of all the animals there. That sucks. And it means certain death. Why would the humans do this? I don't know, but it means certain death for any animal that stays in the field. So what the hell is Mrs. Brisby going to do? Uh, easily relocate her ill child. No, but that's not an option. Oh, fuck. Well, what she does do is charges the plow and then... Uh, With Mrs. Shrew. Auntie Shrew has to come save her. And uh, they basically... Make it run out of fuel. <laughs> Auntie I mean, they, Shrew does. They tear out the or Yeah, Auntie Shrew tears off the fuel line. And the farmer apparently has not gotten the intelligence potion because he doesn't know that he can just replace it. Nicodemus is the leader of the rats that live in the thorn bush. And he's magic. Somehow this there's is, magic. This is true. This is a sci-fi and magical setting. Something like a final fantasy. Yes. And, um... He casts a spell in his magic mirror to compel Mrs. Brisby to go see the Great Owl. That's how nature works. Uh, Nicodemus knew Jonathan, and he knows that Jonathan had big plans for his wife, he did. And what were those plans? We'll never know. We'll only vaguely understand. So, uh, yeah, Mrs. Brisby gets a ride on Jeremy to see the Great Owl. Uh... The great owl is very scary, eats a lot of insects in front of Mrs. Brisby. I'm not afraid of owls. 
basically keeps telling her to just move her house until he finds out that she's Jonathan's widow. Everybody keeps calling her by Jonathan's name. Yeah, I don't like how Mrs. Brisby doesn't have an identity of her own. What if her first name is also Jonathan? The owl is apparently also (laughs) elitist, just like the awakened rats and mice. Because he's like, oh, you're Jonathan's widow, then I will help you. Um, Motherfucker. And he tells her to go seek out the rats and specifically Nicodemus. Yeah. So why Nicodemus didn't just tell Mrs. Brisby to seek out the rats in himself? I don't know. Well, he likes middlemen. <laughs> For starters, when she uh, meets the Council of Rats, yeah, she is recognized as having esteem not just for knowing Jonathan, but also for having met the owl and being the only person to have survived meeting the owl. And for having carried his seed, uh, Jonathan's seed. Ah, yes. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. They realize that there must be something special to her because she's actually standing in front of them and not Etten. Yo, this person's insane. <laughs> Yo, this chick fought our Dark Souls guard and survived? Fuck. Yep. There's a giant rat with a halberd. I don't know Brutus. what could be more Dark Souls than that. Yeah, his name was Brutus. So The Banished Knight Brutus? Yes. The council, as Jack was talking about, agrees to let Mrs. Brisby stay and talk and see Nicodemus. She has a meeting with him, and he basically tells her that she's the chosen one, actually. The common field mouse, not the ascended rodent. Yes. So maybe Nicodemus is more of an ally and a class warrior for justice than the others. Yes. And uh, he gives Mrs. Brisby an enchanted amulet that will help her in her greatest time of need. Now, this is literally magic. Only the pure of heart can use the magic of the amulet. Well, that shit's going to kick in when you're brave. That's how this magic works. Yeah. So, he basically... What will it do? Uh, I guess whatever the fuck it needs to do in that moment. Yep. Magic be vague like that. He basically says that the rats have to help her and her family move their house stone under the lee of the stone, which is this large stone in the field that would be protected from the plow because the plow can't go around it. It's too large. Can't go through it. Can't go over it. Gotta go under it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Thanks, God, we moved our house under the rock, so there's no way and it's going down. No, no, the no. New sub, I guess there wouldn't be a submarine. A uh, subterrain tractor. Yes. But there's a contender to the leadership of the rats named Jenner. And he's planning to have Nicodemus killed by a quote-unquote accident when they're moving the Brisby home. This story is oddly convoluted for a hour and 20-minute kids film. Yeah. Oh my god, a giant cinder block fell and killed Nicodemus. Well, he was getting pretty old. <laughs> That's speaking, how aging works. Speaking of many side tangents, uh, Mrs. Brisby has to, well, off uh, volunteers to help drug Dragon, which they do whenever they have to do a 
a big thing in the field and don't want him interfering. Yes, God forbid they, uh, you know, move when he's asleep. She gets captured. Uh, her ally, a uh, ascended rat named Justin, who wants to help her and her family, and they are making eyes at each other. He helps her, but then he kind of like just leaves after she gets captured, and he's like, I'll have to come back for you. <laughs> By the way, did you guys notice he never does? She gets herself out. I like that about Mrs. Brisby. Yeah. She's actually very smart. Girls be doing it for themselves. The thing is, I I think he would, but he probably like forgot. <laughs> yeah. He is a rat. Yeah. I mean. I don't know how long a rat's memory is. Probably longer than that. But he's not a regular rat. He's an ascended rat. So his memory should be like at least twice as long. Yeah. They poked him. Nicodemus reveals about the poking. That's right. There's a backstory that he revealed about um, how the rats came from Nim and they were experimented on and that's how they gained intelligence because it changed their DNA. It made their DNA into the universe. Uh, they realized they could read and then they realized that they could GTFO. <laughs> there were ascended mice, but many of them got blown away in the vents except for Jonathan and Mr. Ages. Jeez. That's right. They're in vent world now. And Among us. Jonathan is so revered by the rat kingdom because it was actually with his help they were able to escape. He's basically a war hero. Yeah, the rats were too thick to fit through the vent. And Jonathan, with his little mouse body, was able to fit through and open the latch. And um, Mrs. Brisby found out that it was Dragon that killed her husband. Which is sad. And maybe that's why she volunteered to drug him. <laughs> a little um, bit of a revenge story, too, thrown so. in there. She didn't try to kill him. But so she escapes and she goes to where they're moving her house. Jenner thwarts the plan. He cuts the string that's lifting the stone, killing Nicodemus in the process when he's, like, piled under all this debris. Goes to show, when you're moving a uh, cinder block house by... Zip line, basically. Uh, maybe don't stand directly underneath it. When Mrs. Brisby comes up and is like, we've got to move my house. This is important. And Jenner's like, fuck you. I'm taking over and we're never moving. And uh, let's go back home, gents. Also, they're moving the house with her children in it. Like, I don't understand how Timothy is so sick that his bed can't be moved. I don't know, but... Uh, Basically, Jenner is just kind of like revealing his whole ass. <laughs> and Justin is like, you're the one that killed Nicodemus. It's a fight to the death. I mean, you got to have a fight to the death. And Jenner's like, whoops. Yeah, I killed him. <laughs> yeah. He's so. Why deny it at this point? Yeah. He's, yeah, he's so confident that he thinks he can just take Justin out. He's very close to doing so. But then the guy that used to be Jenner's lackey, uh, Worm tails him, or sorry, worm tongues him with a knife to the back. Yeah, and uh, then Justin's able to get a killing blow. See, I said worm tail because he was a rat. Now, they subvert your expectation a little bit by having Brutus not be the one who stabs him in the back, as historically people named Brutus like to do. <laughs> <laughs> Don't name your children Brutus. Name them something more Christian, like Judas. Yeah, that's a good name. I think Jude is a sweet name. They rhyme. There's St. Jude. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> hey, St. Jude. Hey, fella. Don't, be so, don't feel so bad. Yeah. Don't be so bad? I don't know. 
Is that mental health before the 80s? <laughs> Don't be so sad, yeah. Have you tried being happy? Have you, have you tried being not sad anymore? They're there. So, the Brisby home... You're being hysterical. <laughs> they say that in the movie. I, they do. Yeah. So, the Brisby home is sinking into the mud, and uh, everybody's freaking out for some reason. I mean, yeah, I don't know how rats are supposed to lift a cinder block. It's almost completely... It completely goes under the mud. Uh, Justin saves Mrs. Brisby from going down with her children, and... Uh, he looks devastated for having pulled her away and not being able to help her with her kids. That's okay, because um, magic's about to happen. She's freaking out, and then she lost the pendant in the mud, but it floats back to her and makes her all glowy, and then she lifts the house Whoa. and moves it on her own. And then all the she rats- She Yoda's this fucking cinder block. Yes. Yeah, and then all the rats bow to her. Uh, she is the one mouse- and uh, then we just like have a closing scene where she's there with her family. Jeremy finds a mate. Is it Mrs. Brisby? Oh, Jeremy, the bird. Yeah. Sorry, not Justin, the mouse, the rat. Yeah. Or Jenner, the rat. Yeah. Or Jonathan, the mouse. This is exactly what family dinners are like for our families, where yeah. every single person in our family is basically has a J name. So. Justin became the new leader of the rats, we find out, and they moved their colony to the Thorny Patch, which is good that they decided to follow him because we, as the viewers, know that Nim was coming the next day to totally eradicate them by destroying the rosebush. And that's your summary for The Secret of Nim. Wow. That was one of our faster ones, wasn't it? No. Decidedly not. One of our longest ones. So we should probably jump right into the delve. Welcome to the delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of The Secret of Nim. Now I've got another confession to make. Yes. Good thing we're in the Rat Catholic Church. <laughs> the Rat, the Ratlick Church. The Ratlick Church. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that for years I've had this movie confused with an American tale. Oh, aren't they that by the same studio? They are, but I don't think I've ever seen this movie before. This watch through we just did. I'm sure I've made uh -huh. you watch it at least once. None of this rung a bell at all for me. It was something I used to watch as a kid with my siblings. And I remember. You do? Yeah. I, I'm also trying to figure out what movie I'm thinking of that I saw in theaters because American Tale came out when I was three. So I don't think that's the one I'm thinking of that I remember going to the theater to see. Is that like a mouse with a gun? <laughs> it's, about it's a mouse who has to pay exorbitant fees for his health care. Oh, no. It's about a Jewish mouth. Mouth? About a Jewish mouse named Fievel who comes to America with his family and gets separated and has to find them. Is that an American tale? Yeah. I think that's the one that I've thought this movie was the whole time. They're Jewish? Yeah. The Jewish mice? Yeah. In an American tale? Yeah. Oh, that's badass. Yeah. yeah. That's so sick. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> but the I studio also did All Dogs Go to Heaven, right? Oh, that movie is sad as fuck. I used to love that. These were all like the movies I grew up on. 
But I'm pretty sure I've never seen this movie before, and then I've thought for years it was an American tale. Okay. They're both about mice. <laughs> That's part of it, certainly. Is there a sequel to an American tale? Probably. That's probably the one I saw in theaters. We okay. should do a rewriting history called All Cats Go to Hell, where dogs <laughs> are the, where dogs control the dominant narrative and oppress <laughs> cats, and they're like, we go to heaven, but you go to hell. And the cats go through an existential nightmare trip and then realize that that's just their oppressive narrative. And it was now, propaganda all along. Now, anyways, the secret of Nim. I made a joke in the beginning of this episode about how it was the secret of the National Institute for Mental Health. And the reason for that is the book that this film is based on is based off of an actual research study that was conducted years ago, I think in the 50s, by or at the National Institution for Mental Health, where a guy was doing uh, these kind of community research projects with rats where he'd build them basically little cities and they would kind of live and thrive for a few years in them. And then eventually the cities would collapse because of overpopulation and stuff. And then he's like, oh boy, I bet human societies are the same. Okay. As far as I can tell, there was no genetic testing being done on these rats. And also, I'm pretty sure that the way that he extrapolated his data to human beings is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Abject bullshit. Yeah. Because, like, the idea of overpopulation is often super misunderstood slash misattributed slash a bunch of racist dog whistle. And the amount of people that can live in, like, various parts of the human populated world, we're, like, we're doing just fine. It's not overpopulation. It is mismanagement of resources that are the real, that is the real problem. Definitely. It's, this movie sort of reminds me of the short story Flowers for Algernon. Okay. You remember that one? I do. What they're doing in that one is they are trying to make a serum... That will boost the IQ of just anything, really. Yeah. They're testing it on mice, and it makes the mice really intelligent. Right. And then they test it on a person. It's a very existential, and we see some of the same themes in this. Yeah, so let me start by saying that the whole concept of IQ is a racist construct created to marginalize people and to create a more stratified social hierarchy. And a lot of the research for so-called intelligence quotients were was being conducted in the Bay Area um, at, at like elite colleges, you know, quote unquote elite colleges like Stanford and stuff. And it was just another way to um, maintain a hierarchical class system where some people had to be at the top and some people had to be on the bottom. And what is actually being measured is rarely any actual form of intelligence because, you know, the intelligence potential of most people is roughly, you know, the same or whatever. Like, there's a lot of variation, but... And can't always be fully expressed in a classroom setting. Exactly. But so what happens is, like, they create these standardized tests, and they say, oh, well, you know, the majority of people, like, 
at Harvard or whatever can get these tests, you know, can land like these numbers and stuff. And gee, when we run these tests about like what we consider to be basic knowledge on other communities, those communities don't score as well. And they maybe like the questions on them have to do with like, let's say suntan lotion. Now, why might a test that has questions about suntan lotion, why might that be culturally or racially biased? I'll let you figure that out on your own. My point being, movies like this are fun, but the idea of intelligence quotients and other like standardized testing and stuff for categorizing people is deeply racist and problematic. I just wanted to lay that groundwork. No, that's fair. I mean, we need to like have that baseline, but uh, you know, Mrs. Brisby is the hero. She's a common yes. mouse. And I love that about this film. Yeah, it's not any of the quote-unquote intelligent rats or mice. I just know that like a lot of times with media like this, viewers, even if that is the like end of the film, is like, oh, Mrs. Brisby is not an ascended rat and she is, or an ascended mouse, and she is the hero, and she's the one with, like, the great potential and everything, which is also not unproblematic, but whatever. I think a lot of times people will watch something like this and be like, oh, well, you know, you can, like, in you know, the, the intelligent rat society or whatever is, like, these elite boosted people. It's, it's really only the villains that think of themselves as above the other animals and, um, that there should be a stratification. That's fair. Uh, Nicodemus, one of the like best characters of the movie, he only treats Mrs. Brisby with the utmost respect. That's fair. And admiration. And um, he he wants to help her in her own right, not just because she's Jonathan's widow. Although he does like share more information with her than she got. He's the only one who actually shares more information with her and knows that she can understand it and and doesn't treat her as, like, somebody beneath him. Yeah, that part's great. And Miss Brisby's a badass character, and we can talk about that more in a bit. I think, yeah, part of what we're saying is that it is sort of framed that these rats and select few mice are tainted by their human intelligence. From the intelligence that they've been given, they have this really stratified society where they have this council. True. There's Jenner, who is power hungry. because He's a real this. dick. <laughs> yeah. They wear very fancy clothes. Yeah, they, they have, have weapons. Yeah, they live at like a, almost like what was a human medieval, like Western medieval level of technology i'd say it's more of a final fantasy level of technology yeah. where it's both medieval and, and also steampunk. like steampunk yeah. magipunk it yeah. seems sort of like they have like a noble oligarchy that they have yeah it's the um it's the myth of meritocracy too yes so you would think that this is all because they're more intelligent the other animals of the field not all of them but some of them wear clothing <laughs> <laughs> because we know that clothing is the marker of intelligence. And they aren't we all dressed right now? They can learn to read. <laughs> Cringe. <laughs> Jonathan knows how to read because he was made that way, but then he's able to teach his wife how to read. Yeah. And their kids can learn how to read. I think that says something about how the creators felt 
about uh, animal intelligence and they were trying to show that different creatures are kind of worthy and have value uh, on their own. It's true. And they don't show that there's anything wrong with the natural animal's lifestyle. Yeah. It's always portrayed as being very normal. I mean, regardless of intelligence serums that they were given, just like in the real world, all these animals have a complex society and can speak perfectly clear English. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But the rats are shown as having a lot of societal problems. True. Now, Mrs. Brisby's suffering from poverty, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. That's the class struggle. Yeah, it doesn't seem like she brings that up, though, or is even aware of it. No, she's just struggling because she is now raising four children on her own. Yeah. And unfortunately, she doesn't have a strong support network, a strong social network to help. Auntie Shrew shows up, but she kind of is like this judgy fuck who thinks that Miss Brisby isn't raising her kids right. She is an iron will. And she bum rushes that tractor with Miss Brisby. Yeah, Auntie Shrew's a complex character. I don't like her attitude that she comes at Mrs. Brisby's kids with. She's kind of snotty, but she does care about them. She cares about them, and she's a total badass who understands the mechanisms of how tractors work and she's and how also to dismantle them. a common animal of the field but she understands the intricacies of a machine yeah you see a machine we contain is, multitudes a machine is like a creature if you rip all its insides out it will stop you're yeah. not wrong and that is a very animal understanding <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's fair so it's kind of like one of the messages of the movie is don't disregard the other creatures around us and they should are worthy of our respect. They have their own type of intelligence. Yeah, definitely. We can all be complicated. We're all capable at whatever, you know, educational level we're at, whatever other markers we have. We are all capable of great or terrible things. That's right. And intelligence being shown as something that is not a blessing in this situation. It presents a lot of strife, and the humble animals of the forest are shown as being very, like, pure. Yes. And that's measured by a magical artifact, the amulet, which Jonathan made for his wife. Nicodemus says it it, it responds to the pure of heart, right? Well, you know what Winston Churchill said? Magic is the great equalizer. Yes, exactly. But it's a very common trope that some magical force will determine when someone is pure of heart because it's pretty vague. Yes. But she literally gets that. The magic thing that says, oh yeah, she's pure of heart. Everyone take a look at this, right? Try to be more like Mrs. Brisby, you fucking barbarians. Also, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) What? Doesn't seem necessary, magical amulet. Yeah, kind of harsh. I I didn't ask to be made smart. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, the movie definitely shows that being kind is a lot more important than being intelligent, True. which is cool. And you know what? <laughs> and you know a way that you can be kind to the artists that you like to listen to? I can think of at least three ways. Oh, shit. Beats me. Can two of them. <laughs> two of them I can't share on a public show. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of them is... If you want to support your artists in a financial way and you have the means, 
you should head on over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and take a look at the tiers we offer and uh, select one of them there tiers. <laughs> when you said tiers we offer, I thought you meant T-E-A-R. T-I-R-E. Sure, but like the tiers we offer also are a thing. The tears we offer is going to be one of our next podcasts. <laughs> it's the tears of laughter. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's Those are the ones I was thinking of. Yes. Because you're not just supporting us, which we would appreciate. You also get something back. <laughs> you selfish fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you, you get uh, extra art, other bonus episodes that we put out on our Patreon. That don't get released anywhere else. That's true. And you get to vote on movies that we watch. In fact, this movie was one of our audience poll films that we selected. That's or right. that, that our listeners selected. That our dedicated followers selected. Yes. The Satirist Crew. We create content. We're influencers. Content, influencer, content. All right, well, this show has been canceled by me. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> and sometimes there's other art on there, too. I hear rumor of ducks. Can you make a mouse duck, Jack? Yes, and the flock is coming in. <laughs> nice. So once again, if you want to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash swordsandsatire and sign up for one of our patron tiers. And now back to the episode. All right, so Mrs. Brisby. Absolute legend. We were already talking about how she's pure of heart. And it's not because her head is empty. No. Far from it. <laughs> um, she's a simple mouse, sure. But also... Courageous. Courageous, bold, caring. I mean, she's got these amazing qualities that we are, you know, set up with her as her, our protagonist to idealize. Right, like right. she kind of contains, I would say, like the moral, emotional core of the film. She does feel fear. She's afraid to go to the owl and the rat kingdom, but she still goes anyway because that's the only way she's going to get help for Timothy. That's right. Yeah, that's what I think is one of the biggest strong points of this film. It's not like the entire world is going to end if she doesn't do that. It's her son is sick and she really wants to take care of him. Yeah. And so it's really understandable. Like, why did she go to the greatest monster in the forest? Because it can help her with that, right? Because she would do anything to help her child. I like that the protagonist of a 1982 children's film is a single mother with four kids. Yeah. Who's just I trying to get by. I think that's really cool. I think that this movie does a lot that undermines, you know, the traditional, like, adventure narrative. Like, Mrs. Brisby doesn't use, like, physical strength. She no. uses, like, character strength. Yeah. She doesn't fight. She avoids conflict wherever possible. She uses intelligence, her own intelligence, just cleverness to solve problems and she's not one of the ascended mice she's just a regular mouse who can drop kick a water receptacle and escape from a cage yeah she um also gets her way in diplomatic situations and danger situations 
Um, by being crafty, sure. But also when it comes to when speaking is involved, when other people are trying to dismiss her, like the owl or the rats, she's persistent, or Mr. Ages even. She has a great need, and that is one of her driving forces. And it's so great, it's kind of like pushing her out of her comfort zone. And she's not letting herself be kowtowed. And uh, so she persists through like uncomfortable confrontations and just quietly insists in her own way that sh her need is great enough for other people to need to help her. Yeah, you should care because a caring society is a good society, basically. Yeah. I just wish that she had a name that wasn't tied to her husband's identity. Exactly. That was one of the next things I wanted to talk about, too. It was 1982. I guess, like, this was as progressive as they could manage. They could have called her something like Jenny. Yeah. Or Actually, Jennifer. I yeah. think her name might be Jennifer because... Or Jessica. When... Oh, no, it might be Jessica. Yeah. Um, when Nicodemus is writing down in his book, his magical tome, about what happened uh, to uh, Jonathan... <laughs> I, so there's something on the previous page that mentioned a Jessica or a Jennifer. Oh. As long as it's a J name. They could, they could have named her Jonathan. <laughs> or Joan. Yeah. Right. Joan of Arc. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Joan um, of Field. Joan of Field. <laughs> but so, yeah, she's just constantly referred to as Mrs. Jonathan Brisby. <laughs> and that's her... Soul identity is his widow and the mother of his children. It's a minor quibble overall because she is a fantastic character. Yeah, it's true. It's just that most of the other characters she meets on her journey only <laughs> see her importance as she's connected to him. Except for Nicodemus. He's the one who appreciates her worth in and of herself. Yeah, he sees it. And you know who doesn't see anyone but themselves? Jenner. Jenner. Let's rap about Jenner. Fucking Jenner. Evil, stupid, or misunderstood. <laughs> Jenner's a stupid it's not even a real, boy. It's not even a real J name. No, it's, come on, man. He's crafty but unwise. Oh, yeah. He can see... The threads of opportunity to boost his power. Nicodemus at the beginning warns of Jenner, yeah. right? Saying that all Jenner cares about is opportunities to have his power grow. Yes. And, and that's pretty accurate. When Mrs. Jonathan Brisby <laughs> comes into the rat council chamber, all the rats are like, fuck her, right? Get her out of here. And then... Jenner says to a uh, worm tongue, <laughs> hey, let's not be mean to her. I think there's an opportunity here, right? And he starts kissing her ass, right? Yeah. He starts, you know, being very accommodating. And everyone thinks it's really suspicious. He's making a public show of support and getting other people in the council to agree to help. Uh, but he, most people probably get that he has an ulterior motive. Yeah, he he's pretty crafty, but he's not very deceptive. 
I feel like a lot of people can tell when he is up to something. I mean, he is like any deceptive character in any, like, 80s media and beyond. Yes. Or before. He has played big for the audience, and then people in world are like, oh, Jenner. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> He's practically cackling and rubbing his hands together the entire time. If he time. had a rat mustache, it'd be twirled like you he wouldn't believe. He did have one mustache, didn't he? Then that mustache was twirled like you wouldn't believe. It's true. And, uh... A rat he, stash. <laughs> rat stash. He was benefiting heavily from the systems they have in place. He was comfortable in his position of power there. And he did not like the idea of moving away from the rose bush because he wasn't sure he would still have the same privilege. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, gee, a character whose only motivation is to protect his privilege? Good thing that's not something that happens in real life. Oh, no. <laughs> well, it's kind of like... It's a contained society. It can only grow so much. It's predictable. Just like he, the actual cities built by Nim. Yeah, and he knows that he can control the rats within it. If they move to a bigger place, they'll expand. Uh, it's an unknown factor. He's probably afraid he won't be able to have as much control over the rat society if they expand too much. This is another flaw with the study on the rats because they were in a contained city. Like in the real world, you can move, you yeah. can relocate, you can, you can actually build like new structures and stuff. You can say tax the rich and use the money uh, for a civic good tax the rich, you know, like that's an idea from a fantasy movie. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, and you know, with human culture, you have things like, Social services and uh, diplomacy. Do we? That's right. But Jenner is not thinking along those lines. He wants to keep things as they are. And Nicodemus is like, yo, we're all going to fucking die. Let's get out of here. So what we're saying is that this film comes down to the war between conservatism and progress. Basically, yeah, exactly that. <laughs> Again, glad that this is only stuff that matters in film. And uh, Jenner, when he's having a hard time against Nicodemus is like, I'm just going to kill the motherfucker. It's an easy solution. And his lackey is like, hey, man, Nicodemus is like our really good boy -o. We shouldn't do that. And Jenner's just like, come on, did they breed that? Did they take the animal out of you, man? Come on, he's we're rats. Oh, he's appealing to like the, what is it? Like it's, it's the appeal to... <laughs> old values <laughs> yeah the appeal to values the appeal to like inherent qualities uh, like uh conserving things yeah like your past values conservation is that a thing conservative is yeah it's, it's a thing in fantasy for sure oh cool he's also uh I f unfortunately i forget his lackey's name but he's manipulating him kind of like with this promise of when we get Nicodemus out of the way, we'll all be elevated. We'll make the Rosebush great again. Yeah. yeah. But really he's only in it for himself. Okay. And in the end, he lands a killing blow to his lackey when the lackey refuses to kill Nicodemus. Yeah. So we find out what his real motivations were the whole time just to take over. If he did take over, he would have, outlawed the council real quick oh absolutely it's true and when mrs jonathan brisby 
comes in and is like, hey, rats, Nim is coming back with exterminators and they are going to get you guys if you stay in the rose bush. Yes. Jenner instantly draws a weapon and is like, hey, time to shut the fuck up. This is one of the benefits uh, that happened when she was in captivity. She overheard the conversation that the farmer was having over the phone. So let's talk a little bit about that before we move on, because that is an important part of the story of this film. And it is this series of events that's happening in the background. Yeah. With the humans. (laughs) With the humans. So Nim did these experiments. They basically mutated the rats. Now they're trying to cover it up. They're trying to track down the rats and exterminate them so nobody finds out about what they did. So again, in a series of events that only occur in film and fiction, a government institution did a bad and now wants to cover it up. And now wants to pretend that they only do a good. That's right. So. They keep calling the farmer and his family, asking them if they... The rats on their property seem like strange, like they have strange behaviors at all. The farmer's family keeps saying they don't notice it. But for some reason, the researchers at NIM are convinced those are the rats that they're looking for. And they are. It's unclear how they know that. Well, so, I mean, the facilities were around here or something, right? There's some connection to the farm and NIM. It's out in the country. It's probably cheaper to build a a site there. (laughs) Look, all the farmers are crazy from isolation in the fields, right? (laughs) So all of them said, yeah, the rats are out to get me, right? But it was the one where they said, no, the rats are fine. They're like, those rats are smart enough. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you're right. A little reverse psychology there. Yeah. Yeah. They're an institute of mental health. That's like that saying about uh, AI. Like, I'm not worried about the AI that says that it's trying to destroy us. I'm worried about the one that says that it isn't. It has to do with, like, not being worried about the machine that says it's going to kill us, but the machine that can lie and say that it's not. I'm not trapped in here with me. I'm, uh, you're trapped out. I'm uh, out in with teach me. A, teach a with man. You. Teach a man to be trapped in here with me, and he's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm trapped in here with a fish. Might have gotten that confused a little bit somewhere along the line. Are trapped. <laughs> but so the humans are portrayed as being destructive to other creatures around them. The farmer plowing the fields, regardless of what else lives there, and all the animals having to run for their lives. Uh, The researchers experimenting on the animals in the cages and then trying to come out and exterminate them and cover up their misdeeds. The farmer agreeing to that and saying, I just want those rats exterminated. Gee, what a human response that is. And he doesn't have any feeling in regard to wanton destruction of other lives. Oh, they tore up his tractor. <laughs> and it it's a hard look at the way many humans just view other animal life in the natural world as being there for their own benefit. 
And so we see that all the humans are down to just kill the rats. They've made active plans to come and exterminate them. That's Cover right. up, wipe out, right? And Miss Biz Miss uh Mrs. Jonathan Bisbee. Jesus Christ. We can actually let's just call her Jessica. <laughs> Jessica Jonathan is uh the protagonist of the film. Is trying to Warn the rats, saying, hey, Nim is coming and they're going to kill you all. Jenner pulls his weapon immediately and is like, she's hysterical, right? Yeah. Literally says that. Yes. And uh, even though he just drew a weapon. and uh, she, She's the crazy one. And he's trying to, he's beating her and trying to kill her. He does not register what she has said. He could shoot somebody in Times Square and still get elected, is all I'm saying. Yes. He's basically trying to say that she's lying. Yeah, he doesn't really hear what she says, the words. It, they don't sink in, except for she is convincing people to leave, and he immediately tries to kill her for it. When, like, if Nim showed up a couple days later, he might be like, oh, yeah, shit. She said something about that, huh? No, he would never. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. That would be admitting to being uh, wrong. He would simply say, I told you guys that Nim was coming. You did not listen to my great intelligence. It's all your fault. Don't you remember that Mrs. Jonathan Brisby tipped them off that we were here? Yeah. She was screaming about it before I chopped her apart. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Before I did something about it. That's right. But just so insane that she's like, hey, you guys are all going to die if you stay there. And he's just like, oh, uh -oh her head fell off. Yeah, but I'm in charge. So things yeah. are fine. Yeah. So what we're saying is the state is not capable of protecting us. <laughs> in fact, they it protects corporations most of the time. So what we need to do is we need to work towards distributing power amongst the people and giving everyone a voice so that when there is a major threat, we can assess it. And seizing the means of production so that we have a say about what the policies are around that production and who gets the benefit of the wealth of it. And of course, we're saying all that in the context of fantasy. Exactly. Well, on that note, we should probably head into the smithy. <laughs> Welcome to the smithy, where we each forge a rating for this movie after we share an epic moment or feature of the film. Cass, do you want to give us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating from 1 to 10 swords? I do. There are swords in this movie. <laughs> and halberds. Yeah. Rat-sized ones. Can you imagine how hard it would be to forge a little rat-sized sword? I think my epic feature is going to be the artistry of the film. There was so much work that went into it. It really shows... The characters are intricately detailed. Like, uh, Mr. Ages has something like 46 colors that make up his character. And that's just one character. Uh, there were hundreds of colors that were used in the making of the film. And uh, 
like we kind of jokingly said before, but it's true, there were over one and a half million drawings in the making of this film, which is amazing. Think about that the next time you're like me and like really lazy. <laughs> um, and the quality of the work is just amazing. It's beautifully done. The character design is interesting and moody. The whole film has this moody quality to it, which has to do with all of the things that went into making the settings around the characters and the quality of the different like paints they used. So it's a beautifully created film, and I just wanted to highlight that. I think I'm going to give this movie an 8 out of 10 swords. It's beautifully made, pretty socially conscious for its time, and uh, has a lot of good messages in it. Yeah, it does. Uh, like magic will save us all. There's just a few things that it falls short on, like Mrs. Brisby not having her own <laughs> full identity. And, uh... Pretty good for 82. Yeah. Some other similar aspects of, like, gender roles in the film. But overall, really well done. 8 out of 10. All right, Jack, how about you? What's your epic moment or feature and then your rating from 1 to 10 swords? Yeah, my epic moment and or feature has got to be the gray old men. And All I'm right. referring to, uh... I'm referring to Mr. Ages, the Owl, and Nicodemus. Okay. Because their character designs are so hype. Mr. Ages looks quite a bit like the voice actor, actually, for himself. (laughs) Just very persnickety, sort of grudgy old man vibes. Very, very excellent design. And, uh... The Owl and Nicodemus have these long mustaches, which are great. They have all these warts and, like, bumps all over their hands and their claws and stuff. They're real Don Bluth characters. They just look so cool. The way they are, like, gnarly, but really, like... Yeah, man. Yeah, they're gnarly, but there's something, like, primordial and epic about them. Yeah. It's, like... Ordinarily, they they have things that you'd be like, whoa, that's pretty, like, they would look creepy, but it's, like, awe-inspiring in these characters. It makes them have a, a real gravity to them. They should, too. They've lived more than five years. <laughs> that's right. Practically rats, ancient. Rats usually live, like, two to three, I think. That's right. We didn't even talk about how this name serum makes them age more slowly. And how Jonathan kept it a secret from his wife because she was going to grow old and die while he would still be young. I think that might be part of it. Yeah. It's like vampire fiction, too. It is. And so, uh, just so epic, the character design, just for, like, really alternative designs for characters. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, the movie as a whole, freaking love the main character. She is so cool. The plot feels very grounded, where it's like, oh, yeah, this crazy experimentation stuff is going on, and, like, there's all this sci-fi and there's magic, but that is not the plot. That is just setting. Yeah. And the plot is the mom has a sick child and they have to move before they die. Yeah. And that All the it, rest is, like, you said, setting or tools that help her. It reminds me kind of of, like, Pan's Labyrinth. 
Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on in like the background, but the important moments of the plot are kind of mundane. human and mundane. Yeah. yeah, and I love that. That is great because I can really get lost when the stakes are the world is ending. Yeah. It, it, it's it been cool for a while, but it's been done so much that just having the little boy is sick and he needs medicine. Yeah. It's like their house is being foreclosed on, but in this case, their house is the life of her son. And a, and a city-sized demolition vehicle is about to drive over your children. City-sized? Fucking, yeah, I guess it is city-sized. Yeah. I, was, I thought even bigger, but I guess the scale's there. <laughs> yeah. And so... uh I love the stakes in this movie and uh, the art is incredible. Totally awesome. Uh, There are a few scenes that are like, Oh, I don't know if we need to have like a music video for the whole family gathered around the sick child for like an entire song. I feel like that was just like, Oh, okay. It's nice. But it, it, it's a little draggy. There are a few scenes like that. Uh, I think that's indicative of the time period that it was made in. It totally is. It's an animated movie. Gotta be. Gotta have a musical. Yeah, but uh, the movie's just so awesome. I liked it a lot more than I expected, and I, I've seen it before, but I barely remembered it. I, I'm looking forward to watching this one again. Nice. And so I'm gonna give this movie also eight out of ten rat swords. Hell yeah. What about you, Jamie? What is your epic moment and/or feature and rating out of ten rat swords? <laughs> Not rat swords. That's way worse. That's what uh, Nicodemus has. Yes. He's very old, I think. I think that my epic feature of this movie is just the world building and the lore. I love how the author of the book that this is based on took this real life research and kind of extrapolated ideas based on it uh, and created this world. Now, adding the genetic testing element does change kind of the moral implication. But as I think Cass said earlier, like that is a real thing. Animal testing is like a real thing in the world. And I feel like they were doing a good job of casting a critical eye on this really sensitive topic. Um, And of course I'm against animal testing. I understand that there are arguments for times when it might be beneficial to do research with animal subjects. But if it involves any amount of cruelty, then I pretty much have to take a hard stance against it. Yeah, then it's not worth it. The ends don't justify the means. Yeah, we should probably only use animals who consent to the testing (laughs) to prevent cruelty. Boy, it's tough to keep talking about this fun, whimsical kids movie uh, through this it's... lens. And I don't have like all the necessary research in front of me to make my argument against uh, as to why I'm against animal testing. But I'm just going to come out um, with that as my stance that I'm against animal testing. Um, that being said, I think that the film does a really interesting job of weaving that into the background and making it like part of the moral center of the movie. I think it makes an interesting backstory to weave the real world into the fantasy in a more explicit way. Because as we all know, I say this very regularly, 
the media that we talk about is rooted in real world issues. Anybody who tells you otherwise is a huckster. They are lying to you for their own agenda. Or they're intellectually lazy or morally lazy. <laughs> yeah, I think much more often it is a disingenuous bad faith argument that they are making so that they can continue to have uneducated opinions or to just have or, or to just marginalize and other people and we're not being elitist there the reason it's frustrating is because anybody's capable of understanding these things and caring about them yeah absolutely <laughs> it's like i said when we covered water world like some people are like, oh, this is a little bit too heavy-handed. It's like, well, look at what we've done to the ocean and to our world since then. Maybe it wasn't heavy-handed enough. Yeah. I once heard of a scientist who was working with bats who injected himself with their own DNA. It turned him into a sort of vampire-like creature, which saved him from a life-threatening illness, but his friend also got it, and it warped him irreversibly. Is there a documentary about this that I could watch? Yes. It's called Morbius. Oh. And uh, there's probably like 20 or 30 sequels on the way. Okay. So good to know. Good to get into it now. Seems like a pretty important franchise. It yes. does. Kind of sexy franchise, too. I, I wonder if it'll be back in theaters anytime soon. Uh, likely. Uh, anyways, that's my moral stance. Um, I am. And you're sticking to it. I am for. Um, Compassion. I am for love. It's <laughs> not really relevant to the point. I am for the humane treatment of animals. I always have been. I always will be. So, yeah, just never forget that films come out of a social context and that they are very much about our real world, regardless of what the thematic content is. With all that being said, I will probably meet you guys with an 8 out of 10 swords. Nice. This is a wonderful film that was clearly a beautifully constructed animated movie. The voice talent is excellent. The animation is top-notch, like anything you'd expect from Don Bluth. And the social messages are as timely today as they were in 1982. This movie's older than I am. And I'm still sitting here watching it going like, fuck, we haven't learned shit. Positive social change towards equity and inclusivity is slow. Yeah. And sometimes it feels like for every step forward, we take two steps back. It does. Yeah. Oh, these fucking, uh, you know, woke agenda movies with their strong female protagonists who are like anti-violent. I think what we really need today are more films like The Secret of Nim. Yeah. And you know what other movies we need more of? What's that? What the fuck? A fish out of water movie about magic in the real world. Oh, I love those. And we're going to be talking about that next week because we're fucking covering Disenchanted, you guys. Oh, they made a sequel to that movie we wrote the sequel for? Where's our um, fat check? <laughs> they, they owe us some uh, royalties. I didn't know we were millionaires now. Yeah. Uh... If you guys haven't heard our pitch for a sequel, our rewriting history movie pitch, then you should go join our Patreon so you have access to that. But Did, did we call ours re-enchanted? Yeah. <laughs> and um, that's because we, while we were like looking up things 
about the movie getting ready to record our movie pitch episode, we found out they were actually creating a sequel like the one we were creating. I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but I'm guessing our pitch is going to be better than the actual sequel. I mean, maybe the sequel's fantastic, but I still think ours is better. You'll have to hop onto Patreon to find out. <laughs> and if you want to keep up with more of our crazy antics, you can follow us on social media, at Swords and Satire, on Facebook, Instagram, and the zombie of Twitter. <laughs> yeah, for as long as it lasts. I give it at least another 15 minutes. Maybe five minutes. The new mascot of Twitter is the Death Bird. <laughs> <laughs> honestly by the time this episode comes That's out crap. twitter might be gone yeah in which case follow us um on dark alleyways yeah Flim wait don't follow me on a dark in a dark alleyway Yikes. The, the new social media that will come out is going to be called flippy <laughs> because it's short videos that you just flip through I already hate it. <laughs> and they flipped the bird, which yeah. was Twitter. Yeah. Yes, there yeah. we go. Imagine a dark alleyway. Someone follows you down. You're scared shitless and they're like, swords and satire? I'm a big fan. <laughs> oh my God. Fuck I you. guess that's good. Okay. I'm so, so terrified. If you want to avoid a uncomfortable situation like that, maybe you better tell your friends about swords and satire first yeah start with people you know that's right if you are so zealous in your love for swords and satire <laughs> that you would pursue a completely batshit crazy course of action like that maybe you would enjoy the art even more by experiencing it with people you really care about yeah start there yeah, because what's a better way to enjoy your favorite art than with your favorite people? There's literally no better way. I can't think of one. All right, well, until next time, Hail, Hail Crom! Crom!